Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey, did you have a good Christmas? Give me a wave if you had a good Christmas. Give me a wave if you got a good gift. Don't, if the person next to you didn't like it, just wave anyway. Just give like a, like, yeah, it was awesome. Give me one of those waves. You know, you know, Christmas time and Christmas morning brings out personality traits that you can normally hide for the rest of the year. Ever notice that? You get up, here's our pattern as a family. We get up at Odark 30 and we open up the, the stocking gifts and we, we kind of sit around, we have breakfast and then we go off to church and when we come home from church, we open up all the other, other gifts. So yeah, we're those parents. We wait, make the kids wait till after church because we're real Christians. We put Jesus first, not presents. So don't be, don't, no, don't feel judged if you do it the other way around. I'm not judging you. In my heart I am, but don't worry about that. Uh, so we come home and we, we open up gifts and we're at the gift opening time, have you ever noticed that you can't keep the challenges of your personality hidden in that moment. You ever notice that? There, there is always three types of personalities in the room when the gift happening opens. And these three are evident in my home. You, you can figure out who it is. Uh, I'm not going to dime them out because normally I'd tell you, but they're here now, so I can't tell you who it is. Uh, but, but we open up gifts in our house. And then you've got the, you've got the clean freak who as there's wrapping flying everywhere, the heart rate and blood pressure is going up as you watch little bits of paper slip under the couch and you think, who's going to get that later? Come on, you even, don't, don't nudge anyone, it's awkward. Forgive them, Christmas was a little while ago. They, 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 and then they just can't wait for the gift giving to be done so they can clean up all the stuff and get some order back in the home. You ever notice those people? Yep, okay. I'm that guy, that's me, that's me. Right, as the wrapping, I kind of put it off to the side. Then you've got the other person who is the obsessive compulsive of, did we throw something important out with the wrapping? <laughs> did we throw an instruction out for a toy? Did we throw a gift certificate out? Did we throw the $10 note out that grandma slipped in the Christmas card? Come on, you ever notice that? I love my father-in-law because what he does is he checks the wrapping, puts it in the corner, checks it as it goes into the bag, then before it goes out to the big trash can, pulls it out again, checks it again, and put, I'm going to invite him for Christmas every year just for that. Because there are moments when the kids are playing with their toys, they're like, where's that little key that goes in the little, you're like, I've thrown it out, I've done it, I've thrown it out. Not if father-in-law's around, he's done 27 checks, we're good. We're good. Then you've got the two-year-old. It's been a while since we've had a two-year-old, but they turn into what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine as well. So a few years, I love jewellery and Amanda often gives me rings and I got a ring one year and one of my two-year-olds who will remain nameless uh, grabbed a hold of my ring and took off. It's my ring. Like took off, gone, took off and went under the, I'm not going to tell you the gender because it'll give it away. Went under their bed and hid in the corner with my gift. I'm like, hey, come on out. No, it's mine. Come on out like a terrorist in the corner holding my gift hostage and I'm negotiating. Come on, come on out. So they finally came out and left the gift in the corner. 
feel like Christianity is a bit like that? Where Jesus has already given you something and someone takes it and you have to fight for what is already yours. You have to fight for what God has already given you. How many know He died for your healing, but sometimes I've got to fight for it. We just heard a story of that. He, he died for my internal peace, but I've got to fight for it. It's like a terrorist, a two-year-old Osama bin Satan gets a hold of what's been given to you and you have to fight for what is already yours. And I've got a sense that this year, in our church, I'm going to say our church, I'm family. I'm like the crazy uncle that turns up every now and again. In our church, God's got a whole bunch of good stuff for us, but it's not going to come on a plate. We're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to go after it. How many thank God that someone fought for us to be in this building? How many thank God that someone fought for 25 years for us to have great praise and worship? How many thank God that we got worship leaders and musicians that turn up two hours before we do and they fight to get a breakthrough in the supernatural so we can have great praise and worship? God's got great. We've got missions trips this year into Calabuzi. Where It's Calabuzi, right? Calabuzi, you know, same place. We've got a mission trip up into the K-Land where God's going to do some amazing stuff and hundreds of people are going to be helped, but we've got to fight for it. There's going to be salvations this year, but we're going to fight for it. There's going to be marriages healed this year, but we're going to fight for it. We're going to have a great 25th year, but we're going to fight for it. Hey, I, I saw on Instagram and I've heard the reports of the Christmas spectacular that you had. I heard it was unbelievable. Look at me. That didn't happen because 10 people turned up on one night. For months, people fought for what God had for us, for us to get through. And I've got, I've got a sense that God this morning wants to speak to us about fighting for what He has for us. There's a story. His name was Larry Walters. He's a Canadian gentleman and he wasn't a stranger to Frozen Over Lakes. So when he drove his car up to the edge of the lake where him and his wife Chrissy were in the car, they got out and they offloaded their four-wheeler, their motorbike, to cross over the lake and he inspected the lake. He saw some fresh tracks that had gone across the lake and obviously was from a heavier vehicle than he had. So he thought, oh, it's safe for us to go across. And as he began to cross, I, I read his story. In his words, in an instant, he heard a crack and a jolt. And before he knew it, the ice had cracked. They were in the water. The four-wheeler had sunk and they're swimming around in frozen water. Larry swam over to the edge of the lake and he tried to pull himself out of the lake. But I don't know if you know much about trying to get out of a frozen lake. When you go to the edge uh, of the lake, Nat would know because Nat's like an outdoors freak over here. He's like Steve Irwin. And... Uh, he went to the edge of the lake and as he tried to pull himself out of the edge of the lake, every time he tried to leverage himself up, the ice on the edge would crack again and drop off. Have you ever felt like that in life where every time you try and leverage up, whatever you're trying to leverage on doesn't hold you, doesn't do what you wanted it to do. Maybe you try and fight in your own strength and you try and rationalise stuff out and it just kind of gives way from underneath you. And I believe God has got a way for us to fight that would cause us to win the battle, not feel like we're constantly pushing up. We'll come back to Larry and Carissa at a moment. I don't, I don't know if you've heard, but we've just opened up a new facility in Central and uh, it's been a... Six-year journey. 
In 2012, we got a letter from the government saying that we're going to take your facility because we need it as a train station. And we thought, okay, part of us was, thank God, because this building is done. And part of us was, where the heck are we going to go? We're in central Auckland. There is no land left. We had two major prophecies from David McCracken and from Michael Maiden who said, God is going to do something far beyond your wildest dreams. We had this amazing prophetic word from God. And there is a prophetic word over this church. And if you're a part of this church, then that prophetic word is over your personal life as well. That there is going to be new and fresh in your world. So as an eldership team, we decided to go on this journey and say, God, what is it that you want? And we, we had this promise that God was going to provide. Can I tell you that for the next six years, we had finance pull out. We had council consents not happen. We had neighbours complain. We had timeline issues. We had building consents that wouldn't come through. We had to fight every step of the way. Even though there was a promise from God, there was a group of people that was needed to day in, day out, say, God, I'll fight to see your promise become a reality. Look at me this year. There's a promise over your marriage. There's a promise over your internal world. There's a promise over your thought life. There's a promise over your business, but it's not going to just happen. It's going to take you and I turning up saying, God, I'm going to fight for what I believe that you have for me to come through. In fact, I've entitled this message, Fight For It. Because this is going to be an amazing year, but we've got to fight for it. We're in the middle of a series called Selah, Summer in the Psalms. You know, the Psalms is full of psalmists who have a promise from God, but have to fight an enemy to get the promise that God has for them. In fact, in fact Psalm 18 is, is a psalm from David that he sung when he was released from his enemies and including Saul. And I want you to read the psalm in your own time, but it begins with, God, you are great. God, you're amazing. God, I'm enjoying the wonders of freedom. And God, I'm, I'm standing here on the other side of what you have for me. But there's this verse in 34 where he says this, God trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. The message says he shows me how to fight. I can bend a bronze bow. Friend, God's got promises for you. The question isn't whether there is a valid promise. The question is, will I fight for what God has for me? You know, Vice President Thomas Marshall, speaking of uh, Teddy Roosevelt, said this, Death had to take Teddy Roosevelt sleeping, for if he had have been awake, there would have been a fight. You know what I reckon in Christianity? We need to get some backbone. There's a story of Teddy Roosevelt who was taking a train across the country for a campaign and on the way to a speech he got shot in the shoulder his campaign official said hey let's take you to the hospital so that you can get patched up he said no take me to my speech and he spoke for 90 minutes with a bullet in his shoulder came off the stage and said, you can take me to the hospital now. You know what the church of Jesus Christ needs? is some people who can take a hit and can take a disappointment and say, don't take me off the field. Take me into battle because there is a bigger prize and a bigger story. I don't care what they're saying and what they're doing. I'm going to stay on course 
for what you have for me. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I love that same passage in the Passion Translation. It says this, For although we live our lives in the natural realm, we do not wage war with a military campaign, employing human efforts, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energised with divine power to effectively dismantle the defences behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought inside so that it bows down in obedience to the anointed one. When was the last time you thought about what you think about? When was the last time we analysed where our thoughts take us? Because the writer here is saying that we can take every thought captive and make it obedience. I've discovered that most people's thoughts are like a runaway train. And they just go wherever God wants them to go. And I believe in this passage, God is like the psalmist says, He trains my hands for battle. There are some keys of how we're going to walk into this year to successfully take everything God has for us. I've got three thoughts. You want all three of them this morning? Here's your three thoughts. Number one, for us to have a successful battle, number one, I've got to control the high ground. This is what I learned last year in the battle for Central, in the battle for what we were doing as a church in Auckland. Here's the thoughts that I, I've got to control the high ground. You know, when, uh, when I was about, I don't know, 22, 23, I was in the bridal party for a friend of mine. And as a stag do, Bucks Night, you call it Bucks Night or Stag do? What do you call it? Bucks? As a Bucks Night, we went and played paintball. It is a huge mistake to go and play paintball. When you are in the bridal party of the groom that everyone's trying to shoot. So we played this game halfway into the day called Capture the Flag, where the referee at the time said, who's the groom? We all pointed. This guy over here, this, that guy. He said, okay, give me your gun and give me your shirt. Yeah, we thought the same. Then, the, then he said, here's the flag, you've got to hide with it. Then the umpire said, who are the groomsmen? And the groom who we just pointed to, him, him and him. There was 20 of us all together. The umpire said, give me your guns. Took all the bullets out and left us with eight bullets each. For those of you who are as good as math that I am, I'm going to spell it out for you. That means we had 24 bullets for 16 people. He said, you guys go and hide. Everyone else is going to try and get your flag. 
I'm like, this is awesome. This is a good time for me to take a toilet break. <laughs> but I stand by my friends. So we head on out. The, the umpire says to me, hey, come on over here. Would you like some advice? I'm like, flipping advice. I want to shoot you at the moment. <laughs> he goes, here's my advice. Find the highest point on this field and don't come down. If you do that, they'll never get to you and you'll see them coming. Okay, cool. So we find the highest point on the field. All four of us head on over. We get to the highest point on the field. We're looking up there. Can I tell you how many times we said, let's go down and have a look. We heard a noise over there. Let's go down and check that noise out. We heard a ruffling over there. Let's go check that ruffling out. We heard someone make a, a, a sneeze over here. Let's go check what that is out. And we all looked at each other. And no, 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 the ref said, don't come down. By the end of that game, we had used 19 of our 24 bullets, taken every one of them out, and we kept the flag. Why? Because we controlled the high ground. You know what the enemy wants you to do? Is to come down from the high ground and listen to what that person is saying. And what is this person thinking? And why are they doing that? And what's the enemy doing over there when the God, when the God of the battle says, don't come down and worry about what they're saying or she's saying or he's saying, stay up in the high ground. Keep your thinking on my promise, on my word, on who I am, on what I've given you. Don't worry about these little things. Control the high ground. 2 Corinthians 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. You know, in the heat of battle, language and patterns of thought are always the biggest part of the high ground. When we're in battle, what comes out of our mouth and what goes through our head is all about controlling the high ground. What things have I said as a default? Here's what God's speaking to me about this year. The theme for my life this year is habits of readiness. I want to have daily habits that position me to be ready to say yes to God, my family, my friends and those who I serve. So it's habits of readiness. So God is speaking to me about what are your default go-tos in the height of battle? What, what are your default? Because every one of us has a default go-to. When we're stressed, when we're, I think we're losing this, when we're, I don't think this is going to come through. What are my default go-tos in the height of battle? Here's some questions I want to ask you. Do you really need to spend that much time at work? Or are you avoiding being home? And having time with yourself. Do, do you really need to buy the latest iPhone, bigger TV or better car? Or is it a coping mechanism to fill a hole that God wants to fill with something else? Is it really one glass of wine? I know this is a Christian church, but is it really one glass? Or has it become a default coping mechanism that brings me down from the high ground and makes me susceptible to an enemy who is launching attack on me? Here's the big thing that God is talking to me about this year, and I started on January 1, to guard the first and the last of every day. I listened to a message and I heard 
A preacher challenged his conversation of give the first eight minutes of the day to God and give the last eight minutes of the day to God. Because here's what I found. For me to wind down, I'd be scrolling through Instagram. It's going to get quiet in here. I'd be looking at Facebook. I'd be playing Toy Blast or something wholesome like that. I'd be looking at the newspaper. Look at me. What I start with, I'm shaped by. So the first thing in my head in the morning sets the direction of my thoughts for the rest of my day. And I don't want Instagram to do that. Because I, I lived in America for a little while. I've got friends on the other side of the world. So while I'm sleeping, they're living. So I found myself getting into a habit where the first thing I'd do is look at my phone to see what their day was like yesterday. But man, did it annoy me. Because I'd see their Instagram life. And my kids didn't behave like that. Well, he did. But the other two didn't behave like that. Hey, bro. My life didn't look like that. And all of a sudden, I'd start my day with jealousy rather than, God, what have you got for me today? So my goal this year is to give the first eight minutes of the day to God and the last eight minutes of the day. Yeah, but I get up and I do a 45-minute quiet time. Good on you, super Christian. I'm starting with eight minutes. Don't judge me. Maybe one day I'll be as good as you. But the first eight minutes and the last, because what I'm start with, I'm shaped by. The enemy is always looking for a foothold because when he can get a foothold, he wants to go for a stronghold. And a stronghold literally means fortress. So if Instagram for me is a foothold, then I'm gonna get rid of it so that I can give the first eight minutes and the last eight minutes of the day because here's what I've discovered. The enemy's a liar. He doesn't play by the rules and he'll take my mind further than I want it to go, keep it longer than I want it to stay, and he'll never deliver what he promised it would deliver. So I'm going to control the high ground. What does controlling the high ground look like for you? For 2 Corinthians 10, 4 again, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power. Here's the other thing when it comes to controlling the high ground. I need an infilling of the Holy Spirit every day. I need an infusion of His power every single day. Day. Well, yeah, but I, I got one of those way back in 1987 when I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Awesome. You also filled your car up with gas in 1987. How's that tank of gas going? Every week, every day, I need to fill up and I need to fuel up and I need more of Him, more of His leading, more of His focus so that I can move into all He has for me. So number one, I've got to control the high ground. Number two, I've got to raise my voice. I've got to raise, ever since God's been speaking to me about this, I've noticed how many times I tell my kids, shh, quieten down. Lower your voice. Shh. <laughs> Judah and I were on a plane yesterday and he put his headphones on and uh, he was what, playing a toy on the, on the headphones. He had the, the, the volume up really loud. He's like, hey, Dad, look at this thing over. Look, look over here. Look, the, the baby's on fire. And it's terrible. The baby's going, Dad, I'm going to take it out. I'm like, dude, shh. 
I am being quiet. Shh. No, dude, you got no, no. And the enemy wants to get in your ears. So there's so much noise that you feel like there's nothing else but his voice and what he's saying. But we've got to learn to raise our voice and align our promises with what God is saying. I'm going to line up my future with the promises of God, not what the doctors say, not what the bank account says, not what everyone else says. But God, I'm going to raise my voice. In the thick of battle, my voice has so much more power than I think it does. I'm looking for something tangible when God says, I've given you a weapon in your voice, use it. I was reading uh, when Jesus went to the cross. How many know that was a tense moment? Hello? How many know that, that was, there was a moment of pressure in that moment? Like he, he had to battle to push through and Right before it, he had a what we call the Last Supper where he had a meal with his disciples and then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was praying and they all fell asleep on him and then he got arrested and went to the cross and died so that you and I could be here today in 2018. But I saw a verse that I'd never seen before I was, I was reading this in Matthew 26 verse 30, between the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26 verse 30 says this, when they had sung a hymn, when they had sung a hymn, they went to, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus had the most terrifying night of his life and he wanted to have a melancholy moment and go and sing a hymn? Surely there was other things he could do to win that battle than go and sing a song. But the Saviour of the world, in the midst of his battle, young person, look at me, and the Saviour of the world in the toughest moment of his life took time out to raise his voice, to declare what God says. And I began to think about that. And I thought about the songs that we're singing in church at the moment. The song that we sung this morning that Morgan and the team led so well, Good Grace. There's a line in there that says, He's madly in love with you. When insecurity tries to rule, you've got to raise your voice and say, my Father is madly in love with me. It doesn't matter what I've got, what I've done got. He's madly in love with me. How about this? I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. How about that? Let's raise our voice on that one. How about this? I'm coming to you with a heart wide open. Listen, God wants your heart, the bad parts, the parts you're ashamed of and the successful. I'm coming to you, God, because you're a good God with my heart wide open. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Nothing compares to your presence. When I feel all alone and life's getting too big, I've got to raise my voice and say, Holy Spirit, you are are welcome here in this moment because in the midst of battle I don't need anything else but to know that the creator of heaven and earth is here with me worship arrests my attention realigns my focus and sets my direction I don't know about you but I've got a short attention span 
I think they would have diagnosed me with something if I was born later. <laughs> Just saying. I might have been on Ritalin or something. I don't know. But sometimes I can't arrest my own attention. I can't stop my own thoughts. But I've got a challenge for you. You try and worry and worship at the same time. Just give it a shot. Give it a shot. You've been so, so good to me. I've only got $10 in my bank account. (laughs) Try worry and worship. One of the tools that God taught me last year in the heat of battle was to raise my voice. To grab some promises of the word of God and declare them over my life. Listen, worship is more, some of you intellectuals out there, yeah, but worship is more than singing. Granted, but it's never less. And in a moment where I can't pull out a Strong's Concordance and a Thesaurus and all this sort of stuff, I can worship God and I can declare He's been so good to me and Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I can raise my voice and I can declare what God has for me. So weapons of the way God has trained you is number one, control the high ground. Number two, Raise your voice. Number three, band, come on back and join me. That's not number three, by the way. Band, come on back and join me. That's a weird number three. Uh, number three, I've got to keep showing up. You know what I love about Pastor Tony and Kath? 25 flipping years. Just let it sink in. Who's under 25? Give me a rap. Stand up if you're under 25 years old. These guys started the church before you... Tony, sit down, man. These guys... You look 17, but you're 50. These guys started the church before you were born and they've showed up day in, day out, month in, month out. Good season, bad season. Just keep showing up. The enemy can't beat someone who keeps showing up. If your marriage is tough, Keep showing up. If your health is bad, keep showing up. Because the enemy can't beat someone who keeps showing up. Sit down, people. Fire up. This ain't that type of church. One of the most inspiring stories I've heard lately is the story of the Leatherman. In 1975, Tim Leatherman and his wife were on a cross-country tour of Europe in their Fiat 600 kept breaking down good old Fiat sorry Fiat drivers he kept finding himself on the side of the road with a pair of pliers in one hand and a pocket knife in the other and he thought to himself you know what would be great if the pliers and the pocket knife were one tool so he went home and started to work on it in his brother's garage two years later He's like, I can't get these two to talk nicely to each other. I'm giving up. I'm done. The next day, turned up to his brother's garage and kept working on it. Year three, the patent for what we know as the Leatherman was issued. If you're under 25, you don't know what one of these are. If you're over 25, you all know what one is. For the next five years... Tim Leatherman couldn't get a company to pick this up to distribute it. 
year seven, his best mate, you, re, you can read the biography of it. Year seven, his best mate finds him in the garage on the ground crying, saying, I'm done. His best mate said, keep going, man. You know what you need in your life? People around you who will say, keep going. Don't look to people who leave and people who are here for a minute and gone for a minute. Look for the people who have been here, done it, stayed a long time and have fruit on their life. So his best mate said, keep going. Year eight, a little company called Conchellas, a distribution company, wrote him a letter. Right before he got that letter, Stanley, you know Stanley Knives? Stanley wrote him a letter saying, it's useless, no one will ever buy it. Next month, Conchellas write him a letter saying, we'll take 500 units. And the rest, they say, is history. Today, there's been 30 models of the Leatherman and 25 million units sold worldwide. Because Tim Leatherman said, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep showing up. I've got a question for you at the beginning of 2019. What are you thinking about quitting on? I tried to have a good marriage. I tried to have a good thought life. I tried to start a business. I tried to forgive someone. Trying's not a fight. A fight is bloody round after bloody round after bloody round, getting up, turning up again, saying, God, you put this in my heart. I'm going to keep going for it. I'm going to keep believing for it. Don't give up on what God has placed on the inside of you. Let's go back to Larry and Carissa. Remember Larry and Carissa? We left them drowning in icy cold water. In Larry's account of the story, he looked at his wife and kissed her basically to say goodbye. And then remembered that in his pocket was a Leatherman. He pulled out the Leatherman and used the pliers on the Leatherman to dig into the ice, pull himself out, turn around and pull his wife out of the icy cold water. I don't know about you, but I reckon Larry and Carissa were really happy that Tim Leatherman didn't give up on what he wanted to do. And I don't know what you're going to give up on, but there will be people in generations to come who thank God you didn't give up on your dream, on your marriage, on your business, on your internal world. Your breakthrough is someone else's lifeline. And the enemy looks down the tunnels of time and wants you to give up now because he knows It'll help hurt people in 2025. What is it that God's placed in your heart? That God says, give it a go. Don't give up. All I've got to say to you today is, yes, you're fighting. Yes, there's a battle, but keep going because God sees. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And when I break through, Judah breaks through and his kids break through. When we break through, kids in kids church break through and generations break through. We are doing this for the generations to come. What God wants to do in victory isn't about here and now. It's about the next 20 25 years. What is it that God's placed on the inside of you? Control the high ground. Raise your voice and keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Yeah, it's hard. I know it's hard, but keep showing up. I don't have the answers. Don't have to have the answers. Just keep showing up. Do you want to know a secret? 
Pastor Tony and Kath have probably showed up 60% of their days not knowing what the next is, but they just keep showing up and the Holy Spirit reveals it. As I take one step, He's there. And as if I take another step, He's there. And the control freaks in us want to know what step 10 is. And He doesn't say, I'm not going to give you step 10 until you take one, two, three and four and I'll unfold my goodness in front of you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.